listening to Connection Church's podcast. Some days it's hard. Me again. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're here today, and, and we're starting off a new series, uh, Happily Never After. And we, we titled it that because so many times um, we think about the saying, Happily Ever After. But for so many people, um, marriage and relationships and family and, and life in general has oftentimes seemed more like happily never after. And, and so we want to address this. We want to talk about this and talk about what scripture says about marriage and manhood and womanhood and family and, and, and really look at this and see what does God say because um, we believe that there can be a happily ever after. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect and peachy and uh, always it, um, exactly the way we want it or the way we think it ought to be, but we do believe that God has designed marriage and he's designed us um, in such a way that it, it, is, it is a good thing. Um, and so we're going to look at that today and look at marriage and uh, what God has to say about that and his purpose and what he wants for us um, through the marriage covenant. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Um, I do want to acknowledge this, that today this is a source for many of you of um, real struggle. It's a source of real pain for you. Um, It's a source of uh, a lot of difficulties in your life. Many of you right now, you're walking through those. Many of you have walked through those in the past. And for some of you, um, it's things that um, concern you for the future. And so I want to recognize that up front. I want to recognize the fact that... um, we're not going to fix you in the next 35 minutes, right? Uh, we're not going to fix your marriage uh, in the next 35 minutes. But I do believe that this can be the beginning of a change in the way we think about marriage or the change in the way we think about relationships and the, a change in the way that maybe we perceive the marriage covenant and what we think about it and possibly even a beginning to see that there is hope um, for us in our relationships and in our marriage. And so um, that's my prayer and that's my hope. Uh, we're going to begin in the very beginning, literally, um, in verses one and two. And so I want to read those and then we'll get into the message today as we look at what God says about marriage and what he says about the marriage covenant. So Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for its power. Lord, I just pray that in the next few minutes you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged. We'd be convicted and um, God, just uh, given strength to live and do and to uh, just do the things that you've created us to do, God. Let us have the marriages that you designed us to have and let us live out this covenant the way you've designed it to be lived out. We'll just speak to our hearts here now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So the first thing that I want to do is I want to acknowledge this fact, that marriage is difficult. Amen? If you're married, you can say it's okay to admit that marriage can be challenging right? Um, and, and for some of us, uh, we've learned this the hard way. Like if you've ever um, asked your wife to cut the vacuum cleaner off while you were watching television, um, you found out marriage 
can be difficult and challenging, right? And then later you're like, what's wrong with you, right? And um, yeah, I, I say, what's wrong with you, you know? And, uh, and because sometimes we just don't know. Uh, I learned quickly that marriage can be difficult when we first got married and um, I asked Susan one night or, or told her one night, um, Susan, the rice is hard again. Um, and that didn't go over well either. And, uh, and, and then another night when I didn't know why she was angry, when I took the clean clothes that had come out of the dryer that were on my side of the bed, and when I was ready to go to bed, I just moved them to her side of the bed. I didn't, I didn't realize that that was gonna be an issue either, but it was. And a marriage can be difficult, marriage can be challenging. Um, it's got its moments, and the reason for that is because God takes two people who are selfish, um, because 10 out of 10 people are selfish, and he puts them together, and then we try to live happily ever after, right? And it just doesn't work out that way naturally. In fact, I believe this, if a marriage is going to be what it's supposed to be, it takes something supernatural. It takes the work of God in us and in our marriage if it's going to be what we uh, are designed or what is designed to be. Um, and so it's real important. As we look at these first two verses, as I read these, I began to think about what the earth looked like and how the earth was um, shaped in the very beginning. And it says that it was form, void, and dark. And I thought about how true that is of our marriages and many times even other relationships that oftentimes um, it's formless. It's, it's, it doesn't really have a purpose. It, it seems to just exist, but it doesn't serve any real purpose. Um, I thought about how it was void. How many times our marriages um, can seem empty. They can seem hollow. They can seem as though um, there's really no purpose and there's no substance to them. It's just sort of coexisting. And I thought about the darkness, how dark sometimes a marriage can be, how painful sometimes it can be. And sometimes it just is, as I said, just existing without a real purpose or without substance. And it just seems dark. It seems instead of bringing life to us, it seems to cast a shadow over our lives. And I thought about how the earth was that way. But then the good news is this, God in verse three began to speak. And as he began to speak, creation began to come forth. And he began to create something that he says, after everything he created, he said, it was good. And the thing that I realize about marriage and the thing I realize about the marriage covenant and the thing I realize about our lives is that when there is darkness and it seems void and it seems to be without purpose, when we begin to see the purpose and we begin to find the substance and we begin to see light come into our relationships, into our marriage, into our life, is when we begin to allow God's word to speak into our life. And if we're going to have the marriage that God wants us to be, wants it to be, if we're going to live the life that God wants us to live, if we're going to do the things that God wants us to do, it's going to be because God's word became the foundation from which we build on. I believe that one of the problems with marriages today and one of the reasons that our marriages in the church don't go um, any different many times than marriages outside of the church is because we built them on the same foundation that the world's building their marriages on. We need to come to a place where we begin to build our marriage on the word of God, on what he wants it to be. 
And as he spoke, he said it was good. And I believe this with all my heart, that you can have a marriage that gets better day by day. You can have a marriage that is good. You can have a marriage that fulfills its purpose. But this is going to happen when we come to a place where we submit our lives to God's word. We allow God's word to shape us and shape our heart. And then we see God's word begin to shape our marriage and the lives around us. But we gotta come to that place if we're going to see that happen. It's going to be what it was created to be. We need to turn to the one who designed it. I brought this with me today. I don't know if you can see this very well, but um, it's, it's uh, pretty simple. And if you, you can zoom in, I don't know if they can see this. You can see this on the screen or not. But anybody know what this is? Can you tell what this is? An owner's manual, right? Right? Yeah, and, and I do have a Ford, okay? So for Chevy people, you know, calm down, right? It's okay. You're like, that's what's wrong with your marriage. You need a Chevrolet. Okay, Dale Jr., calm down, right? <laughs> and it's like crazy, right? But uh, it's just a truck. And, and so anyway, um, it's an owner's manual. I, I thought it'd be interesting today. We did this at nine. I thought we'd do it again at 11. But how many of you have ever actually looked at your owner's manual? Anybody ever looked at this? And I thought it would be, you can raise your hand up high. high. First of all, let's do this. How many women have looked at the owner's manual? Hand up high. Your hand's literally everywhere. Okay. All right. Now, men, how many of you would dare admit, look at this. This is pathetic. <laughs> right? That you've looked and you're somewhere like, I'm... You don't even want to admit like you've looked at the owner's manual, right? And I don't either. But the reality of it is that if we want to know how something functions, if we want to know how our car works, our truck works, whatever, uh, it makes sense to go and look at the owner's manual because they designed it. Um, whether we want to admit it or not, they know more about my truck than I do, right? And so I go to the owner's manual to figure out how it works, how it's supposed to work, um, what does what. And I feel like that's something that we don't do very often in our marriages is we oftentimes don't go to the owner's manual. We don't go to the one who designed them. In our culture today, we try to, to, to redefine marriage. Um, we try to, to tell people what marriage should be and what it should look like and how to fix it. But very little or very few times do we seem to go to the actual one who designed it, um, who created it, to find out how it's supposed to work. And so what we need to do is begin to understand what God created it to be, what God created uh, its purpose to be, and how God designed it to work. And I hope that that's what we will be able to do today. Because if marriage is going to work, we need to look to the one who created it to figure out how it's going to work. It just makes sense, right? To look to the one who created it, who designed it, to know how it's going to work out. The first thing I would show you is in Genesis chapter two, verse 20, when it comes to the design of marriage. In Genesis chapter two, verse 20, it says, the man that gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And so God's created all these things. Adam is naming all these things. But for Adam, there was not, a, not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God calls a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that God, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, wow, no, he said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so we see this first marriage, this first becoming one um, that God designed. And so we see that God has this pattern. He has this design. He has this way that marriage is to be done, that marriage is to work, that marriage is to function. And so the first thing I want you to see is that if we're going to have marriages that are what they're supposed to be, um, it's going to begin by looking to the one who designed them. It's going to begin by looking to the one who drew up the blueprint, who designed marriage to work. The second thing I would tell you comes out of verses one through seven in chapter three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired for making one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The second thing that I would tell you is that when we come into marriage and we are looking at it from God's design, we need to realize this, that we both come into our marriage broken. That the man, that the woman both come into marriage being broken by sin. Think about what happens when Adam and Eve sinned. You got to think about how that, that would have left a wound on their heart. This separation from God, this rebellion against God, it left them wounded. It left them broken. It left them um, in a situation where um, both of their hearts were literally scarred by this sin, scarred by um, this, this marring of creation and by their rebellion. And so when we look at this, I want you to see that both of them are broken. The reality of it is that each one of us have, have had sin sins that we've committed and we've had sins that have been committed to us that have broken our heart. We can give Adam a hard time, right? Because of this sin of what happened. But how many of you men would have resisted your wife coming at you naked with fruit, right? None. That's how many. I was talking with our executive pastor, Joey, before, and he said that when um, Eve came to Adam and said, would you like some fruit? That Adam said, what fruit? Right? And so the reality is we can, we can uh, uh, you know, be mad at Adam, we can be mad at Eve, but the reality of it is we've all committed our own sin. Sin has been committed against us. We come into this relationship wounded. We come into this relationship with our hearts being scarred and by sin and by life and by things that go on, by our own experiences, um, our own hurts. And we bring that stuff into the marriages. Um, we bring that into our relationship. It shapes the way we see people. It shapes the way we see God. And this is one of the reasons that we have to come to Christ, that we have to come to Jesus so that he can begin to heal those things in us. It's another reason we need community around us so that our 
our hearts can begin to be healed, so that we can begin to be made whole, so that we can begin to see things through a different lens and a different perspective, so that we can begin to see clearly who we are in Christ, who he is, and how we can have healthy relationships again, despite the work of sin in our lives. And so we need to come to this place of recognizing our brokenness, but also recognizing the fact, as we talked about in the last series, that Jesus is able to begin healing us from that brokenness. The next thing I would tell you, and the third thing, is that our marriage will only be as strong as you are close to Christ. Your marriage will only be as strong as you are close to Christ. Why? Because that's when he begins to heal us. He begins to work in our hearts. But it's also when he works in us in such a way that we can begin to be a healing presence, a healing agent in the life of our spouse. So that he begins to work in us and do things through us that aren't our natural tendencies, aren't our natural behaviors, but begin to be supernatural. We would call this the fruit of the spirit. Um, You can flip over to the New Testament now in the book of Galatians. And look at Galatians chapter five. I want you to see these fruits of the spirit again. It says in chapter five, verse 22 of Galatians, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When you look at that list, don't all of those things sound pretty important if we're going to have a marriage that fulfills its purpose? And we're going to talk about its purpose here in just a minute. But if we're going to have a marriage, it certainly makes sense that we would have love. And not love that's defined by this world as a feeling. Um, you know, it's, it's so easy to fall in love and then fall out of love. But love being a choice, a decision, and an action. When you look at what Jesus did for us, he made a choice and he also did something. It was an action. He gave his life for us. And so when we have the fruit of the Spirit, we have love. But love that's not based on feelings, not based on just emotion, but it's based on a choice and it's based on actions that we demonstrate because of our love for God and for um, one another. It says joy. Now, let's be honest. How many of us would say that we are just overrun with the fruit of joy, right? Yeah, and if you raise your hand, you need to be overrun with the fruit of humility, right? Um, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, okay. But I'm not one of those people. I think I've told you this before, but just to read, we went into a restaurant one time. I was with my parents. The sign on the door said, happy hour. My dad goes, Brandon, you can't go in, right? And so it's not something that um, I'm just naturally like a joyful, giddy person all the time. In fact, like that person gets on my my nerves. Um, But but anyway, the, the, the reality is that not all of these things happen naturally in our lives. That's why they have to happen supernatural. That's why uh, the strength of our marriage in many ways it is dependent upon, is determined by our closeness to Christ. Because the closer I am to Christ, the more these things work in my life. So love and joy, peace, peace with God, remembering that Jesus had brought peace between God and myself, and remembering that that peace overflows into the people around me. Patience. See, here's a huge thing for us. If you're like me and you're an impatient person, you want it to happen today. You want to walk in here today, hear a message, and tomorrow your marriage is fixed. 
But the reality of it is, um, if we've been a jerk to our wife for the last seven years, or we've been a jerk to our husband the last seven years, fixing one pot of coffee um, tomorrow morning's not gonna make that all better, right? Because here's what our mindset is. I left a note that said, I love you, and I made a pot of coffee. Why is she still angry, right? Because you've been a jerk for seven years, right? 10 years. And it takes patience. It takes patience with the other person because the other person doesn't always do what we want, what we expect, at least a disappointment. And so we find hurt in that. But it takes patience also in the process of healing. It takes patience in the process of us um, growing in our relationship with, with, with each other. Um, things typically are not just going to be bam, better, 100% turned around because you heard one message. It's gonna take days and weeks and months and even years of applying what you have heard, but also applying the rest of God's word in your life, growing closer to him and walking with each other in order for the healing to take place, in order for um, the marriage to be what it was created to be. So we need patience. It goes on and says kindness. When's the last time we just said a kind word to our spouse? When's the last time we just spoke something kind, pointed out something that they did well, sent them a text message to thank them for all that they do, thanking them for who they are, just saying, I love you. And I know for us guys, that seems kind of cheesy. It's sort of like a Hallmark movie, right? But the reality of it is, sometimes we just need to suck it up and be cheesy. We just need to suck it up and be a little warm and fuzzy and, and speak a word of kindness. And we need to think about it. He says, do it intentionally. Goodness, just being good, being faithful. Being faithful. Being faithful in our marriage. Being faithful to God. Taking it step by step, one step at a time. Following him and being faithful to, to our vows for one. Being faithful um, to uh, the covenant that we've entered into. Being faithful to the covenant that we've entered into with God. And, and following and trusting and just being faithful to one another. It says gentleness, being gentle, being, being, not being so harsh, not being so quick to fly off the handle, which goes to the next one, self-control. And see, all of these things are things that come from the working of God in us. They come maybe not naturally to us, but they come when God works in us through his spirit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not called the fruit of Brandon because Brandon does not produce these naturally on his own very often. But God can produce these through us and the strength of our marriage is going to be determined by our closeness to Christ. And as we grow closer to him, and then I hear some people sometimes object to this because they say, well, I know so-and-so, they've had a great marriage, but they aren't even Christians. But they've been married for 50 years and, and they've never had a fight. And I'm like, then they lied, right? Because they have had a fight. The reality is though, they, they may have had a happy marriage. Maybe they found ways to get along and they've gotten along well together. And they're that, that seemingly oddity today that they got along well. But the problem with that is this, if we're not in Christ and we're not following Christ, it's impossible for us to fulfill the purpose of our marriage because the purpose of our marriage is not for us to be happy. It's not for us to be satisfied by someone else. The purpose of our marriage is to point people to the reality of God. That is the whole purpose and reason for the existence of the marriage covenant. 
In fact, one of the reasons that marriages don't work is because when we come into the marriage, we're building it on a foundation that this other person is going to satisfy me. And the reality is that you're putting a weight of expectation on someone to do something that is humanly impossible to do. They will never be able to satisfy you without disappointing you because they are not God. And we have to come to Christ, we have to come to him as the one who satisfies, we have to come to him as the one who can give us what we truly need, and then we're able to begin to heal, become whole, and offer ourselves to someone else. But the reality of it is, your wife is not going to, if she, listen, if she has sex with you every time you want to, it's still not going to satisfy you. And ladies, if he never asks to have sex with you again, that's not going to satisfy you, right? That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. But isn't that kind of how it works? Is that we're all looking for that person to be something that they're not, that they aren't, that they seem to have disappointed us with. And, and so we, we need to realize that that person is not designed to satisfy us. When God created um, Eve and Eve and Adam were brought together, it doesn't say that they were brought together because Adam wasn't satisfied. It says they were brought together because he needed a helpmate. And that's what we need to see our marriages as. Our marriages are given to us. We're given a spouse. We're given a husband. We're given a wife so that we can be on mission together to display the reality of God to people. That is the purpose of marriage that people would look at the covenant that we have with our spouse in marriage and that they would see in that covenant the mirror image of God's covenant with us through Christ so that they display one another, so that people see how we love our wife, so that people see how we love our husband, so that people see how we interact together and then they recognize God in that that we point them to the gospel. And we're gonna look at that um, more in Ephesians chapter five, the famous marriage passage, right? Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 23. It says in this, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and to the, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's, he's using marriage as an example to point to something bigger. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so Paul uses this text, we read it all the time at weddings and uh, there's probably not too many marriage messages that this scripture's not brought out and talked about. But Paul's using this 
text, he's using these scriptures to point to the fact that marriage exists to point people to something bigger than just the marriage. The marriage exists to point people to a relationship with God and how Christ loves his church and how Christ has given himself to his church. And when we look at this, one of the most unpopular things to talk about is wives submitting to husbands, right? People don't want to talk about that. But when you look at this and you look at this in its context, what he's saying is basically wives, in this picture, in how this looks, wives is equal to the church. And, and, and it's not um, something that when wives submit to husbands, when they follow the husband's leadership, it's not something that is intended to put them down. It's not saying that you're lesser. It's not saying that you aren't as good. It's not to be demeaning. It's not to, to, to somehow um, oppress. Um, because if you think about this, as the church, are we... Um, put down and oppressed or are we made better by our submission to Christ as our head? We're made better. See, we're encouraged, we're empowered, we're fulfilled. And what he's saying in this is, listen, wives, you're not supposed to be um, put beneath their feet. You're not supposed to be less than them. But here's the reality. When you follow your husband as he follows Christ, it points people to how the church submits to the headship of Jesus. And I haven't met a woman yet, and I'm sure one of you will introduce yourself to me later, but I haven't met a woman yet who said, I do not want to have and follow and walk alongside a godly man who submitted his life to Jesus and loves me as Christ loves the church. I just haven't met that woman. And when you realize this, that Eve was made from Adam's rib, that God took her from his side, what you begin to see is that this is not a call for the woman to be beneath his feet. He didn't take him from, take Eve from his foot bone. She's not intended to be beneath him. He didn't take her from his back. She's not intended to be um, less than him, somehow behind him. But the reality was she was taken from his side because she is called to be alongside him. Not put down, not put under, not put away, not three steps behind, but right beside. Because you are ministry partners on mission to do the gospel mission of sharing God and pointing people to the reality of God together. If God had not given me Susan to, to walk this out with, I would not be here today. I can tell you that right now. And, The reality of it is, let me tell you why my marriage works, is because she's so much better at this than I am. We went to marriage counseling and found out that I'm the problem. I sat there in a chair while the counselor and Susan both counseled me, and I was like, I don't know why this is a mess. And they're like, yes, you are, but you can do better. And, and I, I have to have that person beside me. And so do you, because we're called to this. If you are married, that is a ministry partner that God has given you to walk through life with and to accomplish his purposes with. It says in there that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And so in our love for our wife, people should see the love that Jesus has for us. That's what he's called us to. 
Now, are we perfect at this? God knows I'm not perfect at this, but I hope I'm growing in this. I hope that it's something that I'm able to do more and more. But see, in order for us to do this, I've heard people say sometimes that men get off easy, right, in this, but it's not so. We're called to be like Jesus to our wife. That means we lay down our life for her. It means that she is more important and more loved than our golf game or our, our car or our truck or our hunting or our fishing or whatever it is. For the wives, it means that he's more important and more loved than shopping or whatever y'all do, right? I've never been a woman. I don't know what, that's, what you do, right? But, but, but we're called to lay down our lives for each other, to submit really to one another. Many times we miss verse 21 in this chapter that says that we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That people look at our marriage and they see something that's godly. I can't say this for my interaction with Susan and the way I love Susan, but I can tell you this, if anybody's walked close to us, then they have seen the love of God through Susan's love for me. Because she has selflessly and willingly laid down her life time and time again to encourage and to walk alongside and and to build up and to strengthen. And I know this, that for anyone who's walked closely with us or seen this, that her love for me has been a testimony to the reality of God. And I believe that's what God wants, that God wants our love for one another, our marriage to exemplify who he is and what he's done for us, that he has laid down his life for us and given himself to us. There's three things I wanna hit real quick and we're gonna wrap up that I believe have to die if we're going to have the marriage that God wants us to. The first one is selfishness. As I said before, 10 out of 10 people are selfish. I had a lady challenge me on this. She said, I'm not selfish. I said, yes, you are. She said, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. I saw her a week later, she came running up to me. She goes, I am selfish. I said, I know. (laughs) And so we're, we're all selfish. It's all part of who we are. We've got to die to our selfishness, what I want, and begin to live for Christ, to live for Jesus, and begin to offer ourselves to our wife, to our husband, to others. The second thing is our pride. We've got to die to our pride. There are many people in here right now who the greatest issue in your marriage is that you simply won't admit that you're wrong. Now, I, more than anybody in here probably, hate to admit that I'm wrong. Like, I will argue with you right now if you said it's, you know, it's light outside and I thought it was dark. But the reality is that the reason I do that many times is because to be wrong isn't just about being wrong, it's an attack on my value and worth because I feel like if I'm wrong, then something's wrong with me. And what we need to realize is that our value and our worth is found in Christ. It's not found in me being right all the time. And we need to realize that admitting that we're wrong, repenting of our wrong, asking for forgiveness is not wrong. It's a very good thing. But we have to humble ourselves in order to do that. For those of us with children, listen, being right all the time doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best example for your children. 
For some of us, the thing that our children need to see is the fact that when we do screw it up, and we all do, that we're quick to repent and ask for forgiveness. We're not going to be right all the time. And we need to be quick to admit when we're wrong and to ask forgiveness rather than leaving that out there. The third one is entitlement. We live in a very entitled society, a very entitled world. We feel like everything is all about me. Our our culture has become very individualized. If you look at commercials on television or even watch now um, travel sports with Little League, it's very seldom about the team anymore. It's always about the individual. We got beat 12 to nothing, but my kid had three hits. Woo, right? Because everything is so individualized. It's so much about us. And we need to recognize this and we need to to, to challenge this and we need to die to this, to let this entitlement go, to realize that life isn't about me, but it's about God, it's about Jesus, it's about his mission, it's about the gospel and the good news that he came and took our sin upon himself, that he died the death that we deserve to die, that he took God's wrath upon himself, that he was killed but three days later he rose from the grave that he is now seated at the right hand of God and he makes intercession on behalf of you and I. He literally took our sin off of us, but not so that we could be entitled and make it all about us so that we could make it all about him. So we got to die to this sense of entitlement, selfishness, pride, entitlement, three things that kill marriages, three things that kill relationships, three things that kill our testimony about who Jesus is today. So we need to come to this place of dying to those, of letting those things go. I want you today to recognize that God's the creator of marriage. He's the designer. If we're gonna understand how it works and how it functions and how it's going to to do what it's designed to do, we need to go to the designer. We need to recognize that every one of us come into marriage and all of our relationships broken broken um, and, and wounded, and we need to come to the healer to be healed. We need to realize that our marriages are only gonna be as strong as we are close to Christ, because not only does he begin to heal us, but he begins to give us the spirit of God that produces the fruit of the spirit that allows us to heal others around us and be a part of his healing in their lives. And then we need to realize that our marriages exist and that this covenant's been given so that we can be on mission with the gospel. For one, he's given us a ministry partner, somebody to encourage us and strengthen us. But two, he's given us a very clear purpose of why this exists. So that that marriage covenant points people to an even greater covenant, Jesus's covenant with his church. And so when we look at all of this, uh, it sounds nice and neat and it's easy to talk about, but where the rubber meets the road is, how does this really affect us? And I can tell you this, that this message in 35 minutes or less, it's not gonna fix you. It's not gonna just magically make everything okay. The reality is that it's a process. 
And for someone who is a fixer and someone who gets impatient, it, it frustrates me as a pastor that I can't tell you the right words, tell you the right thing, and all of a sudden everything's fixed, everything's made right, and that you're just okay, right? And your marriage is stronger than ever, and you're calling me tomorrow going, everything's fixed, we're great, thank you. I just realized that most likely that's not happening. But my heart in this and my hope in this is that today can be the beginning of that healing. It can be the beginning of your marriage becoming what it was designed to be. It can be the beginning of you becoming the husband that you were created to be, the leader of your family that God designed you to be and wants you to be. It can mean that you become the wife that God created you to be. It can mean that your marriage becomes what it was designed for. But today's the first step, the first step in a process. And this process happens as we submit our lives to Christ This process happens as we submit our lives to his word. The process happens as we submit our lives to one another and we begin to walk this out with other people in this gospel community called the church. It happens as we reach out and say, I need help with this. Because too many people are walking around today in marriages that aren't functioning the way they're designed to function but our pride will not let us reach out for help and reach out to people who can walk through this with us. And if anything today, I want you to hear that there is a community of people here today who will walk with you, who will help you, who will pray with you, who will listen to you. But you've gotta be willing to let us do that. You've gotta be willing to let us pray, to let us walk, to let us help. And I wanna challenge you today to take that next step for you. We, all, we talk about this all the time is what's our next step? What's your next step in your marriage? Listen, for some of you, your next step is salvation. Listen, it's impossible to fulfill the mission of Christ in your marriage or in your life if you're not a follower of Christ. So if you've never come to a relationship with Jesus, that is the first step. Second one maybe today is that you go for prayer. You go and let somebody talk with you. You bring this into the light. For some of you today, the thing that you might need to do is when I pray today, you grab your spouse's hand and you get up and you walk over here to these doors and meet a prayer team member and let them pray with you and let them walk with you. This is what I can promise you. What you're going through and what you're walking through is not something that only you have faced. And I don't say that to make light of it. I say that to say you're not some oddity that that you're the only one with this struggle. This place is full of people with struggles. In fact, if you don't have struggles, this is the wrong church for you. But we need to be a place where we can admit those struggles and we can go to one another and we can help one another walk through these struggles. And so this is what I wanna to do today. Today, if today's the day of salvation for you, or you need to take a next step in prayer for your marriage or to talk with somebody about your marriage or maybe another relationship, 
or maybe something just to do with your relationship with God, then I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I'm gonna ask you that you would get out of your seat and walk over here and meet some of our prayer folks and let them talk to you, pray with you. If it's salvation, celebrate with you. If it's marriage, let us help you take your next steps. But I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask you to move. Be very bold, very courageous, and trust that taking your next steps, whatever that is, God's gonna meet you there. So I'm gonna pray, you move, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. God, I pray that today would be the first step of many for some people and even just seeing marriage in a different light of maybe having a glimmer of hope in their marriage that they would take that next step. Maybe for some, their marriage is, is good, but it could be better. It could be, it, it's good, but it could be great. It could be, it could be more of what you want. Lord, would you just give us the courage to take that step of faith and to trust you, to go and to be prayed for, to be ministered to, to be, be encouraged, to be challenged, God. Would you just work in our hearts? As we walk out of here, I pray against this a spirit of disappointment. That God, this all sounds good, but how, how can it actually happen in my life? I pray that you would give us confidence in you, Lord. That as we pursue you, you'll open doors of opportunity that you'll change hearts and move in lives. God, I pray for those out there today and in this room today who are hurting. God, would you bind up their wounds? Would you strengthen them? Would you let us surround them and give them confidence and courage to do what you've called them to do? To heal the way you, God, want to heal them. God, just give us courage to bring these things into the light, to not leave them in the darkness where they can fester and continue to rule our lives. God, give us the courage to bring them into the light where you can heal and when you can work. We love you and thank you for loving us for the grace you've given us and for the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that sustains us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.